0: Hey, Living Water Church, thanks for listening to this sermon as we continue through the book of Colossians. I just wanted to let you know that the first five minutes of audio in this recording are lower quality than the rest of the sermon due to some technical errors. So thank you for your patience, and we hope and pray that you benefit from hearing God's Word. Well, I want us to consider this morning an important question. How do you know if you are saved? And this is an important question for each of us to consider because this life is fleeting and it's short and we all, at the end of this life, will stand before God who is the perfect judge and he will judge us for what we have done, for what we have failed to do. And if you're anything like me, I don't like to take a risk as to knowing whether or not I'm going to make it. You see, when I'm driving anywhere, I want to know that my gas tank is full. My wife is different from me in this way. She likes to push it. She likes to run until the like gas light is on and even then she's like, ah, oh, I've still got some miles left in this one. But for me, as soon as that light comes on, I don't even wait for the light to come on, but as soon as, as I see my tank is running low, I like to fill it all the way up, not halfway, not not a quarter of the way, all the way up, because I want to know if I'm going to make it to my destination. So too, we have to consider this question. Are we saved? Are we going to be among God's people who will receive eternal life? Or are we going to be among those who he punishes and casts off into hell? Well, to answer this question, or at least to help us answer this question, I want us to consider a similar question that we might ask as we look at this letter written by Paul to the Colossians. The question is this. How did Paul know That the Colossians were saved. You see, despite having never met the Colossians, Paul confidently calls them Christians. Listen to it in verse 2 again. He said this to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So how then can Paul call them saints, even though he's never met them? How is this possible? We get a little bit more insight as he continues in verses 3 through 5. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up in heaven. He preached on this last week, but let me ask the question still. How can we know, or how can Paul know, that the Colossians' faith is a genuine faith? Because not all faith is genuine, for even the demons believe and they tremble. So how can Paul know that their faith is in fact genuine? (laughs) And how can Paul know that their love is not just the love of, of the Gentiles or the love that the tax collectors have? How can he know that their love is a genuine Christian love? And then how can Paul know that their hope is rightly fixed upon the things that are above and not the things here on earth? Well, this morning's text helps answer these questions, and this text will also help us answer our own question, that is, how can we know, how can we have absolute confidence that we are, in fact, saved? So let's listen to what Paul says. Starting in the second half of verse 5, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing As it also does among you Since the day you heard it And understood the grace of God in truth Just as you learned it from Epaphras Our beloved fellow servant Now if you're anything like me I had to read this passage dozens of times Before I even began to understand what Paul was trying to show us So let me just read it one more time So we can try to follow and understand His train of thought here And then I'll walk us through it slowly Of this You have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. In this one sentence, I see three necessities that Paul lays out for saving faith for the sake of our sermon, we will pick up on the agriculture imagery that Paul is using here. And so I'm going to call these three necessities, these three objects, the seed of faith, the soil of faith, and the fruit of faith. And all those who are saved must possess each and every single one of these object, objects. So let's take them one at a time and consider what it is that the Colossians possess and that which we need if we are, in fact, among God's people. So let's consider what the seed of faith is. The seed of faith is this. It is hearing the word of truth. So even though Paul here in this passage does not compare the word to a seed, this passage does parallel Jesus' parable of the sower. And in that parable, Jesus likens the word that is heard to that of a seed that is sown. The proclamation of the word is the seed of faith. For apart from the word, no one can have faith. As Paul lays out in Romans 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it is the hearing of the word of Christ is necessary for faith and faith in Jesus Christ is the very ground of our salvation. So one part of Paul's confidence in the Colossians' faith, and it should be our own confidence in our own faith, is that they and we have heard the word. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And again, later on, he says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And so it is that they have heard When he says of this, he's connecting it to what we saw last week, that of their faith, their love, and their hope. He says he can be confident in this because they have heard a message. And so it is, saving faith does not come from one's imagination. Saving faith does not come from an optimistic feeling. The source of hope isn't just happiness and cheerfulness and optimism about the state of the world. The Colossians' faith and their hope And the love that they had was all owing to the fact that they had heard a message. But it's not just any message that they heard. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it is that word that they heard as well. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Here in two different places, you'll see he talks about them hearing the word. And then in those two places, he calls the word by three different names. But we shouldn't take these three different names to be three different objects. I have a three-year-old son who doesn't quite understand this concept very well when I tell him that his grandpa is my dad, he goes, no, 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 that's grandpa. <laughs> but we're not a three-year-olds. Hopefully we understand that we can call the same person by three different names. And so I'm one person, I'm the same person, but to my wife, I'm her husband. And to my son and my daughter, I'm their dad. And to my parents, I'm their son. And yet three different titles, three different names to be, be called upon by. And yet I am just the same one person. And it just tells three different aspects about me. And so it is, we have these three different names referring to the word of God, and it reveals a different aspect about that word. And so let's take them one at a time and consider what they mean. First of all, he calls the word of God the word of truth. This is an important distinction that he makes here because of the false teachers that are among the Colossian church who are teaching not what is true, but the message they preach is false, using the different philosophies of their age to try to convince people to do this and that. And so it is as well among us today, there are false gospels, false teachings, false so-called truths that go around. And all you need to do is listen to the news for a little while, spend a little bit of time on the internet or take to the streets, perhaps even just talk to another Christian who is deceived. And you will find that there are all kinds of messages and words being spoken, but they are not the word of truth. So we must have discernment because there are many people who will give you a word, and just because they try to call it the gospel does not, in fact, make it the word of truth. There will be people who will try to say, what you need today is a word of encouragement, but a word of encouragement does not produce saving faith. You see, one may flatter you by saying, you all look lovely this morning, Or they might try to tell you, well, at the very least, you look better than most of the world who is going on from bad to worse. But this word of encouragement will not produce saving faith in a single soul. We need more than even a word of advice to be saved. One might give you tips for financial success. Not me, I'm not very good at that, but someone might. Another might give you a list of ways to live your best life now. But a word of advice will not produce saving faith in a single soul. One may even give you a word of caution, but that word of caution will not save you. They might say, buckle your seatbelt when you drive, and you can be told that you ought to lock your door at night, but a word of caution will not produce saving faith unless that encouragement, advice, and caution comes through the word of truth. And the word of truth, it is not a word from the world, In this day and age, we have many people who are speaking their truth, but their truth is not the word of truth. And yet this is the word that the Colossians have heard because of the faithful message that Epaphras delivered to them, unlike the false teachers who were teaching their philosophy of the day. Now we see the second one is the gospel. We're going to just move past that for a little bit and go to the third title by which he calls the word, which is, the grace of God in truth. And we'll come back to the gospel in just a moment. But consider what this is. This word, this phrase here that is a title for the word contains the very same word that we saw already. The word truth is used to describe the word of God that they have received. And while the entirety of God's word is absolutely true, it is possible to only hear a part of that truth and miss the very essence of that truth, which will actually lead to salvation by which I mean we can be given the law, which is certainly good and true. We can be told that those who disobey God's law will die, and that is also true. But we also should know that through the law does not come salvation, but only a knowledge of sin. The law itself is unable to save anyone because no man can keep the law besides the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the law is true, We need more than just the law in order to be saved. What we must hear is this word of grace and truth. And so if you want to hear this word, then listen to those who will make Jesus Christ known in their proclamation of the word. For in Jesus, we have what John calls the fullness of grace and truth. And the word became flesh, that's Jesus And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the message that the Colossians had received. which could be summed up in a word that we all know and love, which is, The gospel of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. It is the word of grace and truth that makes the message of the gospel good news. The gospel is the message of God's grace and truth that has been delivered to us. The truth being that the penalty of sin is death, but God's grace has been given when Jesus died for the sins of the world when he hung upon that cross. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ in him crucified. The gospel is the message of Jesus' death in our place. The message of the gospel is the word of Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago that foreshadows our resurrection that will take place in the future. We need this gospel The world needs this gospel, which is the word of God, the seed of faith. And this is the very work of missionaries. Missionaries' goal is not to feed the poor. A missionary's goal is not to build houses for the homeless, although every Christian ought to be about doing acts of mercy for those who are in need because that is who our God is and that is what he does. But the work of missions is the work of proclaiming the gospel, For apart from the word of grace and truth, no one can be saved, even if they're fed, and even if they have a roof over their head. This is what every person needs, is is the gospel. And it's not just the work of missionaries, this is the very work for us ourselves. We need this seed of faith, for salvation does not come apart from the word of God. And so if you look at the wall, this is why our mission statement out there says that we, are, we aim to make, to form passionate followers of Jesus. And we don't do this through any kind of trick or con or, or trying to entertain people or trying to offer pizza to the youth. Our aim in doing this is the way we're gonna accomplish this is through the proclamation of the gospel of the glory of God. And so if we wish to sow this seed of faith, then the gospel must be preached and proclaimed and made known to us and to all who are perishing. So let's continue to consider the second necessity of saving faith, which is the soil of faith. Of this you have heard before, and the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is the soil of faith. The soil of faith is understanding the word. Jesus' parable of the sower makes this abundantly clear. It's not just the seed that is scattered that produces faith. What I mean is this. It's not just hearing the word that saves, but is only possible to be saved through that seed that is scattered when that word is understood. Jesus said when he explained the parable of the sower, as for what is sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. So we would not be surprised if a seed wouldn't take root in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So too, we ought not to be surprised if the word does not produce faith in us or any other person if it is not planted first in good soil. If we have faith, it is owing to the fact that the soil is good. For it is there that the seed of faith can germinate and grow. And so it is, every one of us here this morning who at least has stuck around and paid attention and heard the first part of the sermon Every single one of us here has received this seed of faith, which is the gospel. But it does not mean that every single one of us here is in fact saved. There's a distinction. For there are many who only hear the gospel, but have yet to come to understand the gospel. Certainly not understanding the word might be in part owing to the fact that the preacher is poor. But it's not all the preacher's fault if some do not understand because it certainly couldn't have been the case for Paul. Listen to Paul's explanation of the gospel by the end of Acts and how diligent he was to explain the mystery of God to those who have yet to hear the gospel. Acts 28, 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him, this is Paul, at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. From morning till evening, that's all day long. He preached to them and explained the scriptures and I'm sure discussed with them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets said. And some were convinced of what he said, but others disbelieved And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. I grew up in a Christian home. Sat under the word every single day. Sunday I went to church in the morning to hear the word preached and then in the evening we went back to church to hear the word preached yet again. And I went to youth group every single Wednesday. And my family did devotions with me every single night. I even sat in the sound booth and did slides and ran sound. I even stood on the stage and played music. I sat under the word for years, and yet for years, I did only hear the word, but I did not understand the word. And I say this because there are some here this morning who may not even realize that they are spiritually deaf. What I mean is that you have heard the gospel proclaimed for years. but Some of us do not understand it. But there's an important why, there's a reason why even for us this morning, we do not do our liturgies in Latin And there's a reason why when the scripture is read, we do not read it in Greek. We do everything in English because our aim is not just for you to hear what is true, but to understand it. You see, I'm not content with the word being proclaimed only for it to not be understood. And none of us should be content with this either. But here's the thing, we don't need to stay in our confusion. The Lord, he has given the Colossians a means of grace by which they might understand the word, and he has given us this means as well so that we might grow in our understanding. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, listen, just as you learned it from Epaphras. And so while the opening of the ears of the deaf is a work that only God can do, what we see time and time again here in this passage and throughout the scriptures is God most often uses men and women who are faithful to teach the word so that God's people who were once deaf may then hear. And so God, he uses men like Epaphras who upon hearing and understanding the word of the gospel through Paul would go back to his home in Colossae and he would preach the gospel to them so that they would hear it and be saved. But once they heard the gospel and even understood it in a moment, he didn't stop there, but he would plant a church And they would gather regularly, I assume, knowing that they're Christians, just like we gather regularly as well. They would gather regularly so that they could learn the gospel from Epaphras. And so it is, God, he calls older men to teach younger men. He calls older women to teach younger women. God, he calls parents to instruct their children in the way that they should go. God, He appoints ordinary men like Epaphras, who we will talk far more about next week, because He is a faithful servant who every one of us ought to in, imitate. But He called ordinary people like Epaphras and ordinary people like myself to teach the mysteries of the gospel to God's people so that we all may grow in our knowledge and understanding of what was once hidden. God gave the church pastors, God gave the church teachers to tend to the soil of our hearts so that the seed, namely the word of God, might grow. Listen to the language Paul used to describe the work of the ministry when he was writing to the Corinthians. He said, I planted, Apollos, that's another pastor, watered, but God gave the growth. What Paul is saying is, I'm the one who taught you the gospel. I'm the one who was the evangelist who came to you that, that planted that seed that caused you to believe. And then when I left, there was another man named Apollos who was a gifted preacher who continued to preach the gospel and water that soil. And upon the planting and watering, God produced spiritual growth in the Corinthians. This is how God always works. We need seed planted, we need seed watered, and then, only then, God allows that seed to germinate and grow. And so I want us to consider five ways in which we might water the word so that our soil would be good. First of all, we should all gather with the saints. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir right now as we are all gathered together this morning. But I say this because perhaps there's some of us who are yet they're ready to commit to a local body. Maybe it just so happens you're here this morning. But for those who do not regularly sit under the preached word of God, let me give this exhortation from Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is... This is the exhortation for us. Let us not neglect to gather. Here's a second way that we might water the word. First, the gathering of the saints, and second, gathering of the saints. And by which I mean maybe smaller gatherings, not just on a Sunday morning. But I'm talking about being a part of the community groups that take place throughout the week men's group, women's group, youth group, and the things like these where we aren't just hearing the word, but we're able to discuss the word and digest the word and once again, do the very same thing that Hebrews 10 is exhorting us to do, to stir one another up with love and good works. So if you feel dry this morning, then water the word. And you can do so by joining one or multiple of these groups so that others might encourage you and water the word with you. Number three, here's the third way that we might water the word, and some of you might roll your eyes, but be a part of a smaller group even yet. And what I mean by this is be with maybe maybe two or three people. And this is going to take some creativity on your part if you want to do this, but I encourage every one of us to do this. Imagine if every single member was being discipled by an older believer. And imagine if every single believer was also discipling a younger believer. What a wonderful thing that would be. I can tell you, uh, Kate and I, we meet every single week, and I have benefited greatly from it. And so it is every, every single one of us, if we feel dry, perhaps what you need to do is meet with someone who's a little further along than you are so that they might encourage you and disciple you and build you up and teach you and perhaps even rebuke you if it's necessary, and it probably is. So there's the gathering, there's the gathering, there's the gathering here. I'm going to start getting a little more creative. Here's the fourth way that we might water the word, through personal reading and meditation of the word. Now, I'm sure many of us have had this as a goal in the new year. 2022 is the year where we're going to read through the Bible, or at least start. But halfway through January, if statistics are true at all, well, I'm sure a lot of us have already fallen off that bandwagon, and so we're waiting for 2023 to start reading the word again. Don't give up if you are falling behind. But instead, get in the word. Don't let falling behind be why you don't read the word. Instead, get in it, read it, memorize it, meditate upon the word. For if you're feeling dry, this is the very cure for your dryness. The scriptures, the word of God, the very seed itself. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is, this is about meditating on the word. So if you don't meditate on the word daily, you ought to for that is the cure for all dryness because only through this meditation are we like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And so that's the fourth way that we might water the word. And here's the fifth way. Finally, we ought to read good books, good Christian books, by the way. I'm not talking about Lord of the Rings, although you should read that too. Read good Christian books. Climb on the shoulders of those who can show you things that you would have never seen had God not not given you and me and all the saints, other godly men and women who have dedicated their life to studying the word of God. Read good books. These are just five ways, but certainly not an exhaustive way how we might water the word. But whatever you do, do not be content with hearing the word and not understanding the word. But this is, what's the point of all this? What's the point of tending the word, this soil? Is it so we can have a robust knowledge of the word so we can show off at church and community groups? Of course not. The vine dresser does not tend to the soil and to the vine just so that he is able to show his lush vineyards to his friends. That's not the point of that work. The vine dresser and the farmer alike labor in their field so that they might enjoy and profit from the fruit of their labor. So our goal in understanding the word is not simply for the sake of knowledge that puffs up. Our goal to understand the word of God is that so through the word of God, God through his spirit might produce in us every good fruit of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Here's the third object that is needed for our saving faith. This is the fruit of faith, which is obedience done in love through the Spirit. Now, let me clarify here for just a moment. Some of us might be feeling a little bit itchy as if I've just contradicted the gospel. Let me clarify. Obedience is not how we are saved. We are not saved by our works, but rather obedience is the fruit of salvation. Our love for one another is evidence that we have in fact been saved. At the very beginning of the sermon, I asked us to consider how we can know if we are saved. Let me consider one more question similar to it, but at the same time, very different. How can we know if the tree in our backyard is a healthy apple tree? It's quite simple. You go out in it's proper time of harvest and see if there's apples. See if they're good. And if not, you can know it's either not an apple tree at all, or maybe it's not healthy so it is of a Christian, and so it is of us. Paul can know that the Colossians are saints, and we too can know that we are saved because they and we will have heard the word, and we have all heard the word this morning. Secondly, we will have all understood the word just as the Colossians did, and the effect of that is an abundance of good fruit. So it is, this is the fruit of faith that we would love one another. We see this time and time again throughout the scriptures. How can we be sure that this is the fruit he's talking about? Look, look even beforehand. He says, we always thank God, in verse three, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, See the love there? That's the fruit that's being born because of their faith and the hope that they have in heaven. And if you're not convinced, we see it again in the verses that we'll cover next week, just as you've learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, how can you know that you're a Christian? Simple: look at the fruit in your life. For every Christian will bear good fruit. The parable of the sower once again, Jesus says, is for what is sown in good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60 and in another 30. So it's not just some good fruit, there is an abundance of good fruit. Jesus said it this way, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it is that we have heard time and time again, the positive effect of the word when it takes root in our souls. But now hear the negative effect of those who do not hear and understand the word. When talking about the false teachers, Jesus says this, beware of false prophets fruits so we can identify the false teachers and even those who aren't saved because they won't have good fruit and we can also identify those who are because through the word and through their understanding of it they will bear fruit good fruit let's be clear once again is not the cause of salvation and so if you're thinking you need to come to jesus with your life put together you are misunderstanding what i am saying But what I am saying is if you think you are in good standing with God and all the while your life does not bear good fruit, and I'm specifically talking about love and all the rest of the fruit as well, then you ought to question whether in fact you actually understand the gospel. So let us consider the primary fruit of every believer that is love. Do we possess the fruit of love? that demonstrates that we are a disciple who is following Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the love of our family. Remember, I've said it already, but Jesus said even the tax collectors love their own and so do the Gentiles. So I'm not talking about just the love of your kin, although that's certainly not excluded, but I'm talking about the love for the saint in this congregation. Perhaps even the saint who doesn't share your political position. Do you love all the saints, even the ones who test your patience? Do you love all the saints, even the ones who differ in you in minor theological viewpoints? They dunk their kid. Well, they don't dunk it. Maybe they don't baptize their children. Do we love each other all the same? Do you possess an abundance of this fruit, which is love? Love is patient. believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So how are we doing? Do we possess this fruit of love? Or perhaps all the other fruit as well, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we belong to Christ Jesus, we will bear good fruit. And this is not just a cultural thing. I hear sometimes people say, it's just the way we are from this area of the country. But listen, I'm from Montana, and there are certainly some cultural differences between Montanans and Washingtonians. In fact, just the other day, a few of you were mocking me for the way I say some words. And in fact, this happens more often than you would know. I won't say it because I'll just make a fool of myself. But it's true. People from all over the world will say things in different ways. And I probably am the worst of them all. I make up words, I think. But people from all around the world have different accents. And that's okay. But every single saint, regardless of where they are from, and regardless of what generation they have lived through, will possess these same fruit in abundance. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. What is Paul saying here? Why does he even include this thing about the whole world in which the the fruit is being born in? Well, Paul, he hasn't seen the Colossians, remember? He hasn't met them. He doesn't know them. He doesn't know them by name. And he certainly doesn't know what their face looks like. But he doesn't need to see their face in order to know that their faith is genuine. You see, Paul, he's seen it before. He's seen it here in Rome as he's in prison. He has seen the effect of the word as it takes root in the heart, what will happen. It's the very same effect that it has in Rome as it does there in Colossae. It will bear fruit and increase. And so Paul, he doesn't need to be among the Colossians to have confidence in their faith. He has seen the fruit of faith before and many other saints, and now as he has heard of it through Epaphras, he can be confident that they are Christians. You know the saying, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And so it is of all the saints, if you have heard the word and understood the word, And if you bear good fruit as a result of that word, then you are a saint who belongs to Christ. This is how we can have confidence that we are saved. And so it is, the Colossians were indeed saints. And so are all who bear the good fruit of love because of the work of the gospel in our hearts. So just really quickly, what should we do if we lack these good fruit? Should we just try harder, work up the willpower and think differently? Should we just go to the store and buy some apples and staple it on the tree? That's from John Piper. I love this imagery. He says, no, don't do this. What do you do if there's not good fruit on the tree in your backyard? Or perhaps we might say, what would you do if your lawn was turning brown? Do you spray paint it green? It's not going to bring it back to life. What should we do if we do not have good fruit in our life? I'll tell you what you should do. Plant the seed of the gospel time and time again and make sure that soil is well watered and that you tend the soil around it so that nothing can choke it out. If you do not have good fruit, it might be owing to the fact that you are not saved. And the solution to that isn't to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The solution to this is to look at Jesus Christ And believe on him, for only then will you be saved. And only then will the good fruit from the Spirit start showing up in our life. And if we do have faith, but our soil is dry, then water the soil with a deeper understanding of the gospel. Do not neglect to gather with the saints. And do not neglect to be in the word. But keep it moist. Keep it watered so that God might produce good fruit in you. We are Christ's field. May we bear much fruit for his glory. Let's pray. Father, it's true that if we do not abide in Christ, we will not bear fruit, for apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, now, even as we have heard the word Give us understanding. Open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf so we may see your glory and hear this gospel and understand it. Lord, we are entirely reliant upon you for this work and so we do ask that even now pray that you would quicken the hearts of those who have yet to hear and for those who have Lord, but for those who are dry, I pray that you would nourish the seed of faith that we have received. Increase our faith, Lord, and as it grows, produce every good fruit in us. Do this, we ask, for your name's sake. Amen.